you know the vibes welcome back to another week of the hoop genius podcast myself momo see alongside me is always the three-time nba champion bj armstrong and of course down in florida where it's not so sunny right now parking lot perry mr scott perry former nba general manager and our show is presented by nba 2k24 how are you guys both doing well other than cloudy day out here i'm doing great mo always great always great to see you guys you taking a walk in my shoes with all the clouds and the grayness outside don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> i'm built yes, we're gonna, we, we, we gonna have mo on our minds all day today dude. yes <laughs> hey, man. Hey, man. i know how the ladies feel but speaking of cloudy days, <laughs> speaking of cloudy days is a lot of doom and gloom over on the west coast of the golden state warriors as Draymond Green has been suspended indefinitely. Now, BJ and I spoke about this a couple of times during the week. Um, but Scott, I just wanted to start off getting your thoughts so you could share with our audience your opinion on the situation and the indefinite suspension, which is something that we don't see very often in the NBA. No, I know we don't see it very often, but I thought the league got it right. Uh, obviously, uh, there's something going on uh, outside of basketball uh, for Draymond Green. And the league decided to take not only a punitive action, but a corrective action. And uh, I think it sends a signal not only to Draymond, but uh, the player community at large that uh, they're there to assist as well as um, hold everyone accountable. And it's all about now Draymond getting better um, and being able to come back and uh, be the type of productive player and person uh, that he had been, you know, pretty much for the past decade. So, uh, you know, difficult time for him, obviously, and he's got to want to, you know, it all starts with him in, in terms of him being able to um, tackle this issue and, uh, and and get over it and get to the right kind of space that, again, like I said, he can be productive for everybody and uh, puts the Warriors in a tough situation. There's no question about that. Now, BJ, you know a little bit about this league. Um, the Christmas Day matchup in just about nine days from the time we're recording is the Nuggets versus the Warriors. Do you think Draymond will be back in time? Because the NBA said that he's got to take part in a counseling program. And when John Morant did that, he was only out for nine days. Do you think we see Draymond playing on Christmas Day? Based on what the tone, again, I have no idea. I, I haven't um, spoken to anyone that has verified his length of time and what is the actual, you know, way of thinking here. It didn't sound like that was enough time for him to fully recover from whatever's going on. That's what it sounded as if, but you never know. Um, you know, everyone has a different timeline, of course, of whether it's a physically coming back mentally, emotionally, whatever the case may be. So, but I don't anticipate him coming back before the new year. That's just, just my feeling. I have no idea. I don't, I don't know. So, uh, but my view is he's probably going to lead a little time, right? Um, because the bigger picture is they want him to be ready for the, for the, they would rather have him participating for the remainder of the season than to be in and out of the lineup. I think his availability is what's his question, whatever that may be that has held him out. No one knows other than the people behind the scenes. However, I think it's probably going to take a little time for him to fully do what he needs to do so that he can get back to playing basketball that we've come to admire from afar and, and all of the fans. But more importantly, for the Warriors to have an opportunity to play and participate and win games. Now, 
you guys listening to this know that every Monday we got Detroit in the house. Two of the finest basketball minds to come out of Detroit. And don't worry, guys, we're not talking about the 22-game losing streak for your Pistons. What I did want to talk about... Please though, no, please no. <laughs> <laughs> What I did want to talk about, though, Scott, especially with you, because you were part of the Pistons team that won in 2004. And um, Rashid Wallace came out last week, and he said that a big reason for Draymond's toughness is that when he was a kid, he grew up just down the road from Detroit in Saginaw, Michigan. He spent a lot of time inside the locker room with the Pistons because his best friend's dad was part of the organization. I was wondering if you could speak to that, given that you were part of building those teams together and in and around the situation. Definitely have known Draymond a long time, uh, you know, when he was coming out of high school, Saginaw High. And Saginaw is a tough community, as BJ will tell you. So, you know, Draymond grew up uh, in a tough environment and, he exhibited a lot of toughness as a high school player and then on through his career at Michigan State. But working around our facility, being a part of uh, the Pistons, he got to he got a chance to see up close the most physical team in the NBA from, let's say, 2001 to 2008 in that window right there. So he got a chance to see how that team went about their business and got to know those guys. Uh, uh, ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, uh, the, you know, the entire group. But, you know, obviously Draymond being a forward, focused in on those big people in there. We had guys like Eldon Campbell, Corliss Williamson, uh, uh, Darvin Ham, who's the coach of uh, the Lakers. So we just had a physical, tough group. Um, and, you know, that I think resonated with Draymond. Now, the one thing, but he didn't see that uh, that unfortunately has occurred for him, with him with these non-basketball uh, actions that have had him suspended. We were doing all our physicality within the, the rules of the game. You know, we we you know we were going to play you physical, keep it clean, but we weren't going to uh, throw out any unnecessary shots or anything that could be deemed as a cheap shot. So uh, that's that's the only thing that. Uh, is different uh, in terms of what Draymond has exhibited. But uh, uh, for sure, it, I'm sure for a young guy like that to see a team, there was a championship team as well, not only the best defensive team, but a championship team. Uh, it was a great education for him. Uh, so that when, once he did step into the NBA, he, kind of, he had an idea of what it looked like uh, being tough, physical, and a champion. What was his kind of, role there because you know when we hear stories from the likes of Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce about Doc Rivers bringing his son Austin Rivers into the organization when he was a high schooler and he would go one-on-one -on -one with some of the Celtics players before practice was Draymond hooping with the guys or was he kind of just sitting back and observing how everything operated no, no, more around and observing they did some intern work I mean Draymond was learning uh, a little bit of everything about how the operation works. So I spent a lot of time with him, you know, as a front office member, he got a chance to kind of see how we went about our scouting. And uh, so he and, and uh, Joe's son and a couple of other young guys, they did a lot of work around the basketball facility. So uh, really got a good feel for the guys and then got a chance to spend, like you said, a lot of up close social time with, with our players um, so, uh, that was, you know, pretty much the, the scope of what he, he did while he was, uh, with us, uh, at the Pistons.
Now, you guys have both known him for a very long time. Did you ever think that he would turn into what he is now in terms of one of the best defenders of a generation and a multiple-time champion and an all-star? Did you see that from way back then? Because, BJ, you know, we, you and I have spoken about this on the show numerous times. He went in the second round. Not a lot of people expected this. Well, you know, that's the fun part of scouting, Mo, is that you see players and you see the potential. And then what probably gives more executives, you know, the greatest thrill is when you watch a young person continue to develop and then it goes from potential and it becomes realized in, in, in real time. So to watch a player that has all of the mental capability to say the following, right? When you play in this league, there's there's a couple qualities that's need. Clearly, the first one is talent, but you need a level of toughness to play the game. And Draymond certainly has the mental capacity to understand the game at all levels. Okay, he has displayed that, but he also has a level of toughness to play the game and play with a level of physicality that's absolutely necessary to play it at the highest level. And when you see a player in college and you're evaluating this player, you know, you're making an educated guess on whether or not that player in the right place, the right time, the right coaches in the right scenario to actually do that. Well, for Draymond, it happened on day one with the team that he was drafted to in Golden State. And it's not when you get drafted that matters. It's where you go. And it's not many players that actually have the ability to just play anywhere and you just drop them off. You know, we, we there's a term we call, you know, there are very few players that are just what, what we call standalone players. It doesn't matter where they go, right? You know, LeBron James, for instance, in this generation is a standalone player, right? He was going to, you can drop him off just about anywhere and and he would be, you know, with, with us three sitting right here, he's still going to be LeBron James, okay? <laughs> He'll be, he's just that good. However, sometimes, You'll see a player and you'll say, you'll see something. You'll be like, if I could just do X, Y, and Z, this player could be really be an impactful player. And Draymond found the right place, the right scenario, and the right situation for him. And he suddenly goes from, you know, on the surface as a second round pick. However, he's clearly outperformed that. He's clearly had an incredible career. However, you know, right now you can see there's some things that he needs to work on to get back to that to that space. But did I think that? Yeah, it, it's that's why you draft these players. All these, you know, I say this all the time. All of these players are really, really good. However, sometimes they may not get there on the first time. They may get there on the second team. That's why you do trades. That's why you have free agency. And but the the the, the main thing that's necessary is for the players to continue to believe and have confidence in themselves. Whether you are drafted in the lottery, whether you're drafted in the second round, whether you're not drafted at all. You know, Ben Wallace, for instance, wasn't drafted. However, you know, he went around a little bit and he finally found his home. Some players find it immediately. Some players, they'll get traded and then it just turns for these guys. Sometimes, it, guys, it'll be two or three years down the road with the same team, and then the light goes off. However, you just got to continue to bleed, continue to do the work, and find out. So, yeah, did I think it could happen? I thought it could happen. Did I know when it was going to happen? No, I didn't know that. 
But when it does happen, it's probably one of the more satisfying or gratifying things as an executive to see the light go off for any young person. And, um, you know, for him, you know, he's had a great run. I mean, he's had a run. <laughs> so good yeah, for no him, question. good for the Warriors. And they performed. And, you know, I think they what four championships now they've won out there. Yeah. And, four championships. Um, and we're still talking about them decade, you know, 10 plus years later. So they're doing something right out there in Golden State. Scott, do you think that even if he wasn't drafted to Warriors, he would have found a place to carve out his role in the league? Or do you think, like BJ said, it was the perfect time and the perfect place? You know, I definitely think it was a perfect time and perfect place for sure for Draymond. Um, you never know when you play that game if he had gone somewhere else. Right. Did he Did he have the requisite toughness and uh, basketball intelligence? Yeah, yeah. he did. Uh, to play other places but it definitely was a, uh, what he does and what he brings to the court was definitely needed by the Warriors in that space they had a lot of skilled talented players around he was the perfect fit now if he gets back to somewhere else where they already they had a guy that done, did some similar things to him that was a little bigger maybe he doesn't get the same opportunity you know um you know, I think when he came in the league, he came in with a coach. Mark Jackson, I believe, was coaching at Golden State at the time. And I think Mark, not only with Draymond, he did with Clay and Steph for sure. He instilled a lot of confidence in them. So I think that also helped him a lot, you know, coming in as a young player and uh, helping him carve out his, his niche. When you have a coach supporting you and giving you confidence and telling you, hey, you can do A, B, and C at a high level in this league, and I believe in you, ooh, that's very helpful for a player. So no you know, telling if he would have got that somewhere else. Scott, you know, one of the things, if I remember correctly in that draft when Draymond came out was, you know, it's, it's, it's now we just kind of accept Draymond, small ball, death lineup, and all of the things and what they've achieved, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of one of those things. You were in the league at that particular time. I, I think you might have been at, were you Detroit? I, I'm not Detroit. Yeah, I, I was in Detroit, I believe, when he was coming out. Yes. When he was coming out. But mm -hmm. here's the thing I remember distinctly, distinctively about Draymond Green. Most people thought he was a small forward. When Draymond came in this league, he was looked at as a small forward. Yeah. Because and he was an undersized player. Right, and that exactly. was probably one of no one ever questioned his ability. I mean, he had a lot of success as a mm -hmm. player there at Michigan State. However, the biggest question, if I remember correctly, was could he play the small forward position? That's why teams yes. passed on him. I don't think yeah. anyone, but maybe, maybe some people saw it, maybe you saw it, Scott, because you are an expert at undersized players. You are a, <laughs> you are elite. I'm, I'm waiting for that 10-day contract. I don't think anyone, or I don't recall anyone, maybe someone did, saying they thought he could play the five position. Okay? No, no one. Right. No, no okay. and it was through the injury to David yeah. Lee in Golden State, he got the run and, at the four. And, you know, and normally, then, too, when you, you know, again, and I, I do really like finding those undersized players regardless of, of their position. You know, Draymond didn't have that pop off the floor, that athleticism sometimes to make up for being a little undersized to play the four or the five, to your point. But as a small forward either, you know, he had the smarts. He could, you know, handle the ball a little bit, but he wasn't your classic small forward either. 
at that particular no, for time. The at that particular was, time. At that particular time. No, he was not. Um, but again, I I think as smart as he is, he saw a need and quite frankly, a void in the league of that, that tough guy. Guy was going to play tough, very smart, physical. And what he could do, I think that everybody probably all underestimated as an undersized four when the Warriors actually, you know, played him there. He understood how to get underneath bigger players and make it tough for them to establish position in the low post. He could be, um, you know, very aggressive with them. He nagged them. He was problematic for them. The players that gave Draymond more trouble were guys his size, like an Aaron Gordon or somebody like that, who was very athletic. Who was very athletic, you know. So it's interesting, um, you know, to have watched him his career. Again, he has figured out a lot, and, um, and, and you know, in this space, and you know, kudos to him for that. You know, he's he's built a career that. Um, you know, I thought he was going to be an NBA player, but I'll be, you know, but I didn't know that he was going to be def become defensive player of the year, four time champion. I don't know that anybody could say that that would have happened for him. Well, the Warriors found gold by putting him into that role, and they're going to have to look to find gold again. As ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski says that there are several NBA general managers that have reached out to the Warriors, Mike Dunleavy Jr., who's the new GM over there, about potential trades. And BJ and I have discussed this throughout the course of the last week. BJ says that he doesn't really see many options for the Warriors to improve. Uh, but Scott, what are your thoughts from a front office perspective on the moves the Warriors should make, seeing as Draymond's out indefinitely and Clay and Wiggins have been struggling, even though Clay had a big game the other night. Uh, Steph Curry's been playing amazing basketball, but what's the future for the Warriors? What moves do they need to make? Yeah, well, my ESPN partner, Woj, I know he's on top of it. And, and so if he says there's a lot of uh, GMs are calling, a lot of GMs are calling. He, he He's on top of that news. Um, look, and they're doing, GMs are doing what they're supposed to do around the league right now, uh, especially with what has gone on with the Warriors with and with Draymond this year. You know, they, they have not achieved to the point that many people think they should achieve. So, you know, now, you know, December 15th has come. Uh, players who've signed over the summer are now eligible. You know, the majority of them now are eligible to be traded. So you're trying to find out now because the Warriors have started off sluggishly. Okay, what are you looking to do? Are you still going to try? Are they still going to try to figure this out? And, and uh, because to BJ's point, you know, it's a four hundred million dollar payroll. So for this season, they're going to have to build with it from within, or make a trade. You know, the, 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 this this one or two things. And personally, I think they've got to try to figure out what they have inside their building. Uh, and I think with Draymond being out right now. It's, a, it's an ideal time to let's, let's see what Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody can be, not only in the short term, but in the long term. Can we build with these guys moving forward? Um, and they, you know, quite frankly, they need the other members of their core that won the last championship, uh, Clay Thompson and um, Andrew Wiggins, to play. Uh, because there's not, you know, a robust, in my mind, I don't know that there's a robust trade market I'm, for those guys. I'm sure people are interested, but Clay's going to be a free agent uh, 
coming up. So if you're going to trade for Clay Thompson, uh, you you got to know or be comfortable with what he's looking for contractually. Uh, if you're going to be giving up considerable assets that you can resign this guy. So that's part of the equation too, as you look at him and uh, you know, Wiggins has his contract. Um, but again, right now, I, because he has not played well and he's been moved to the bench, what really is his market right now? I'm sure, you know, he's a talented young guy, but um, again, you know, the Warriors and the, well, let's, let's say the they go spot. the next 15 to 20 games, because that's what Mike Dunleavy Jr. said, that he wants to evaluate yes. the team on. And if yeah. we don't see a significant improvement from Moody and Kaminga, and they kind of play how they've been playing, and the team plays the kind of basketball that they've been playing, if you're the GM there, Scott, what are you doing as we creep closer to the trade deadline? Because time's flying by, and January's around the corner, and then just a couple of weeks till the trade deadline. Yeah, here's your predicament, if you will. Your franchise player, Steph Curry, has shown up and he continues to uphold his end of the bargain. He's playing championship level basketball. He's still one of the top uh, 10 players in this league. Um, and so I think you got to go to him and just say, look, here's where we're at. You know, you know, if they're out of the play playoff race in that, you know, 20 games from now and they're really struggling uh, we're going to have to retool this thing. Obviously, we'd love we'd want to have you here, but have a real conversation with him. It's, you know, is he, um, does he want to stay there and, and, and see the next iteration through? But he's 35 years old, but he's been long time committed to the uh, organization as they have been to him. So I think whatever they do has to start with that open and honest conversation with him as they build out moving forward. Because I think once if you once you start trading some of those other guys out, you don't know what you're going to look like uh, moving forward and how long it's going to take to get back to that level. But you, you want to make sure you find out, you know, where he's at and does he want to be a participant in that or does he wish to go somewhere else to try to win another title? I think that's how, that's how I would handle it and, 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 and treat that situation. When superstars of Steph Curry's caliber are traded, it can shift the entire dynamic of the league. Uh, a superstar, well, maybe not so much on the same caliber as Steph Curry, but a star player who was traded in recent years, Donovan Mitchell, traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers. But the Cleveland Cavaliers have had awful luck. Um, right now, Evan Mobley is out for the next six to eight weeks. Darius Garland fractured his jaw. He's had a bunch of weird face injuries. Um, when does a team write off a season... And kind of maybe not write it off because these guys are going to be back for, you know, post all-star break. But when all of these injuries are stacking up, Scott, how do you, how does that impact team decisions? Well, for me, I'm always glass half full guy. It's got to be next, next man up. Now this organization made a big deal last summer, not just, you know, two summers ago and went and signed out of the Mitchell all-star player. They gave up a lot for Donovan Mitchell. Then they came back this summer, added some pieces around he and Darius Garland uh, with Max Struess, uh, George Niang, to add some additional shooting to the roster. So now this is time for Donovan, you know, to lean on Donovan Mitchell. Okay, Donovan, Donovan, we're going to need you 
to hold this down until Darius and, and uh, Evan Mobley get back. And not only him, you got uh, Karis LeVert, and now we got to elevate him in his minutes, and he's been a successful player in this league. Uh, Jared Allen, I think, made an all-star game at one, uh, all-star team at one time. Uh, you're going to need everybody to elevate their play and, and not look around at what we don't have, but what we do have. And, uh, and and see if you can keep this ship afloat, not fall too far behind in this race, you know, stay in the in the top eight in the Eastern Conference until you can get those guys back. But this is, uh, you know, again, this is why you made the trade for Donovan Mitchell. Okay, can he lead this team? Can he put this team on his back and to bring in the necessary wins to keep them relevant and keep them in this playoff hunt? BJ, what are your thoughts on how the Cavs, you know, steady the ship for the rest of the season? And do you think it's going to impact, you know, because we constantly hear rumors about Donovan Mitchell. Do you think this is going to impact him potentially demanding a trade or looking ahead to not this summer coming up, but the one after uh, before his player option kicks in, if he decides to take that and whether or not he's going to stay? Well, 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 how come you're making me repeat myself over and over again? And you know what my thought is about the Cavs. I know. We all know. However, Evan Mobley is now out for the next eight weeks. Okay. Yes. So when, the, the yeah. thing that you say is he has to be their best player is, he, is now how does Donovan Mitchell go and become that best player? You know, when the trade first happened, when you have a young player with has enormous potential like an Evan Mobley, you have to make room, and I think Scott probably can speak on it better than I can. When you have this young player, you have to allow the room and growth for that player to be able to become the player that you think he can become. In some regards, when you bring in a star player or an all-star caliber player, sometimes you'll see that player not maybe reach his potential. Why? Because he's deferring to the other player. At, at some point here, Evan Mobley either has to be the player we think he be, can become or he's not. It's just that simple. You don't draft a player. Or I think he was drafted second, right? Or second? Third. Third. He's drafted a place where you're saying, for the most part, that's where all the star players are drafted or somewhere in that area. Well, the expectation right? if you're drafted there is to become a star. Okay. Yeah, and that top five. You get that top five. Top five. Mm -hmm. you, 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 you better get at a minimum – any an, an elite starter or player that can contribute on one side or the other of the ball, a defensive player, offensive player, what whatever the case may be. Now, so one, we got to find out whether or not he's going to be that player. Two, if he becomes that player, because he is an elite defensive player right now, he's elite on one side of the ball as is. Now, what we're looking to see can he put that twenty plus a night on that to allow them to have a player that is an elite player on both sides of the basketball. And then you got to fill in around that. What I think is going on right now is the identity of the, of this team as is. I don't know if they have an identity right now without Evan Mobley, because defensively he gives them something that they can hang their hat on. You got to find something if you're going to be, one of the better teams in this league that you can do. And nine times out of 10, if you don't have that elite score who can just go out and get you and you're going to try to outscore the team and play 
you know, like Mike D'Antoni's teams or, or last year you saw the Sacramento t Kings play where their offense was their identity. You better have a team that can defend. That's the one thing you can do. You can provide and give the effort and energy night in and night out. You can't always shoot well. I think right now when you look at this team, and I've said this about Donovan Mitchell, and I'll say it again. I always thought Donovan Mitchell was a lead guard. I think you got to play him at the lead guard position. And here's my reason why I say that. Donovan is only about 6'2 or 6'3. Yeah. No question. Okay. And the and the and the the thing that has been a mystery to me, and I'm not criticizing, is Evan Mobley is a seven-footer. You have Jared Allen, seven-footer. Okay. Harris Avert has good size, so forth and so on. But when you look at their guards, they're extremely small. Right. Yeah. And to me, you got to commit to like the talent that you have. So size and length is their advantage. And that's just one person's opinion. They're all good players. Donovan Mitchell as a lead guard to me. And I and I got a glimpse of it when he when I don't know if you guys recall when um what's the kid uh that plays guard now for the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. Mike Conley. Yeah, Mike Conley. Mike Conley yeah. went out in the bubble, mm -hmm. and they were forced to put Donovan Mitchell at the lead guard. He was sensational as a mm -hmm. lead guard, right? Because yeah, he has no. size. Mm -hmm. He is. He plays downhill, and unlike in the previous generation, where guards or lead guards were expected to to initiate an offense and run the team and all these things. Now guards are just scoring. They're looking to score first, second, and third. You know, Scott Perry was way ahead of his time. As, a, as a <laughs> <lead back. laughs> Donovan Mitchell plays downhill. I don't know how many lead guards can actually withstand his physical size. He can dominate because he's so strong and athletic. Yeah, he is, exactly. And then now you have suddenly a big team. If he's the lead guard and Carol LeVert is the two, suddenly now you have a big team, and now defensively you can switch. Defensively you can do some different things. But more importantly, you have a physical advantage, in my opinion, every single night, which gives yeah. them an identity to play. And, and and that's what these injuries are going to do. They're going to force them to play that's Donovan right. at, the, at, the at the lead guard. Yeah. So, so, so this is yeah. my question then. So as, as Scott alluded to, it's time for Donovan Mitchell to lead the team. And BJ, now he's going to have the opportunity to play the lead guard. But when these guys come back just before the trade deadline, right, how do they reintegrate themselves? Now, is it going to be a case of maybe they can move Darius Garland? Because we, we heard a story this week that the Bulls tried to swap Zach Levine for Darius Garland. Um, mm -hmm. And then Evan Mobley, we've discussed how he's not been given that opportunity to fulfill his best potential. Is that going to be an even less of a case of those opportunities now if Donovan Mitchell gets used to having the ball in his hands and carrying the scoring load. Before I give it to Scott, first of all, no one gives you anything in this league. So let, let's no one's going to give you anything. You got to go out there and you got to earn it. So right now we got to figure out, or they got to figure out how to win games. That's the, that's the key, right? Everybody wants to give whose team it is. No, let's figure out how to win. Whether that's Darian, that's whatever is going to happen with Darius, I don't know what the as is or they're starting. That might work. Whatever works works. Sometimes we all stumble on things that work for us, and we don't even. Oh wow, 
you just like found something. You know, we just talked about we just spent a segment here talking about Draymond Green. I don't think anybody expected. Sometimes you just like stumble on things. The bottom line is, I think this team was put together with the expectations to win. Okay, there's four all stars in there, in there, and where there's three all stars. Evan Moley certainly has the ability to be a star that's in their starting lineup as is. So the expectations right now are not being fulfilled. And I think it's important for this group to, to figure out the mental and have the mental toughness to figure that out, however that's going to play out. The one thing I will say is once you are behind the curtain, as their executives are, clearly they have a view that we don't have. We're just looking from afar, right? <laughs> so, you know, it's always a fun game to act like, what do you know? What do they need? What did... But what we do know is that they're not meeting the expectations because I think many people have this team as one of the top four teams in the conference. Yeah, and right now they're yes. ninth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So mm -hmm. right now, winning covers a multitude of problems. And right now, that's not happening. Yeah, no, I you know, Mo, as I look at it too, just to, to kind of add a couple points. Let's say, you know, we're looking at a month to two months with these guys being out. Um, so in a month's time, you're going to play, you know, 12 games or so at least. Um, the Cavs are 10 and 2. You got to look at how, oh, wow, how do we end up 10 and 2 when you're talking about assimilating guys and, and bringing them back, you know, and how they're going to need to to fit in. Or if you're 2 and 10. Mm. That's the difference. And then that may help this here. Because sometimes when negative things like this happen, meaning injuries, it's I always look at it as an opportunity to learn more about my team. And so, okay, now we're going to play with an extended absence with an all-star guard and Darius Garland. And to BJ's point, they're very small in the backcourt with, with both he and Donovan. And then uh, Evan Mobley, who I'm a tremendous fan of, and 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 they've got to keep him. And you you know he he you're gonna have to figure out the guy has talent, and and um and so maybe he'll be better with only one of those guards. But maybe this extended absence in whatever production or non-production there is will help them make some you know, difficult internal decisions about how to move forward. So that's what I would be looking at. You know, this is as an opportunistic time to really learn more about my team with our two key players and help form my decision-making moving forward. Well, the Cavs were your team to watch last week and they disappointed you a little bit. Um, yeah, they, but, but... no question. They lost all they, they lost all three to the top two teams in the Eastern Conference, but that's why, because they had one three straight coming in that's why I wanted to see, was that real? Were they ready to ascend or were they not? Well, and before we get into the teams that we're looking at this week, we got to speak about the Washington Wizards. Um, and not because they finally ended their massive losing streak, um, but the news came out this week that they may be moving from Washington, D.C. to Northern Virginia. Um, there's reports of a new 9 million square foot entertainment district being built. And... You know, when it comes to teams moving arenas, we know about the Clippers who are moving to the Inuit Dome where they're going to have a new home. And a big reason uh, people said that they went in for the James Harden trade and 
all of these things is because they want to have a competing team for when they get to their new arena so that it fills the the arena with fans in the seats, right? Because if you're on massive losing streaks like they have been, you run the risk of not being able to gather the support of a fan base. So I wanted to know how that's going to impact a team like the Wizards if they do move. Are they going to try and accelerate the speed of their so-called rebuild that they're going through right now? Um, or are they still going to stick to the plan and trust the process, so to speak? Yeah. But in my opinion, and in my experience, when you go spend that type of money on a, an arena, um, and obviously there's more economic advantages to doing that. You, 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 you're trying to accomplish two things as an ownership group. You're enhancing the overall experience of your fan base, you know, and, and making it a, a destination place. Frankly, not just for the game of basketball, but for all of the, uh, you know, you talk about it being an entertainment district, what else comes around it. So there's a lot of commerce um, opportunities there. But, you you know, you're doing it also, you want a winning basketball team there because in most of these communities, people are going to come out to see a team that wins. You know, people don't come out to see teams, uh, especially in the NBA, that don't win. You know, I think, the you know, the Clippers example is a little bit different here than Washington because Washington, you know, it's really, it's the only pro basketball team in town. The Clippers have forever been, you know, the other team in Los Angeles and they're fighting uh, an image and, and, and years of, uh, Laker loyalty and the brand and being a little brother and that kind of thing. So I think that probably factored in too a little bit, you know, ever since Steve Ballmer's come in, I think he wanted to kind of take them head on and try to create their own separate brand. And then they said, no, we have two legit teams here in Los Angeles, not just the Lakers and the other team. And you know, quite frankly, they, in terms of head to head wins and losses, since he's bought the team, the Clippers have, they're just blown. Um, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They they have they have you know really had a, a strong advantage over the Lakers you know in regular season basketball thus far, but I, you know again if you're Washington, um, I think you got to be trying to accelerate your building process anyway, because when you allow losing into your building or you intentionally bring losing into your building and you start losing at these epic levels, man, there's no guarantee that you're going to ever get it out. You know, and I don't, I don't care whether you stay in your old arena or going to the new one. That That is just not, that is a tough sell, uh, not only to your uh, fan base, but the players that are suiting up every day. You know, it is hard, and BJ can talk to this, but if you keep busting your butt every day, working hard in practice, going out there competing hard in games, and time after time, you're showing up in the locker room with losses. And human nature is going to take over at some point, and people are going to start to have doubt about themselves, doubt about them te their teammates, doubt about coaches, doubt about the organization. And you don't want that because that just starts finger pointing, and it is hard to get you know, your, your organization out of that type of mindset. So uh, I would definitely be trying to um, – build at a faster pace and not be settling for a uh, historical number of losses. DJ? How do we want to tackle this one? Uh, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, 
<laughs> I think the ex athlete in me won't allow me to say what I really want to say about tanking and all those things, right? When you, you know, I used to have a coach who used to always say, one good pass begets another. Is it possible to win every game? Probably not. Probably not. Is it possible to try to win every game? Absolutely. When your intentions are set that our master plan is to disrespect the game and the people that play it by not giving them an opportunity to be at their very best. I don't want to believe that that takes place, right? I, I just I just refuse to accept that that is the master plan, that we would treat our game that way and that we would treat the people who actually play the game. Like people are preparing for this for their whole life, you know? It's like, you know, Hussein Bolt had a, had a phenomenal quote. He said, I trained for four years for nine seconds. <laughs> you <laughs> trained his whole life for nine seconds. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. you, you, like, this game means something to all of us that's beyond just the commerce or the economic impact that it has for us as now in the media or the people who work as executives, the people who own these teams, the people who play this game, it's got to mean something to you, you know? It's, it's, it, it's like, I mean, our secret here is we're all basketball lifers, whether we were doing it or not, getting paid to do it. This is what we do, right? I talk to each one of you every single day about basketball, and it's outside of what we're all getting paid to do because we all love it. Believe it or not, there are many people that play that game and work in that game that love it just as much as we love it. And to disrespect the game, all right, regardless of what we think, right, we got to protect this game. And certainly I think all of us, and I'll say, I think I can say this to all of us here, we want to leave this game in a better place than we all found it. Absolutely. Because we love it so much. And that's a, that's a responsibility. So with that, I would hope that no executive would actually sit there and sell this point. Our master plan is to get the number one pick in a lottery. Yeah, exactly. I, I I would hope. I okay? mean, you could no, hope, I, but I, we I, we've no, seen Sam yeah, Hickey no, go I, do I've exactly seen things, that, and I'm not naive, <laughs> but I still want to have that <laughs> innocence to say ignorance is bliss, brother. Ignorance is bliss. I just <laughs> want to say they trying their best, <laughs> and, and okay, and, and I can I, I can always accept that's. That's what competition is all about, right? Yeah. Competition is about, I can accept losing the game, but I can't accept doing my very best, okay? Right. And all of these young people who achieve just make it here. I mean, the odds on you making it, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And then to think once you get here, you're going to be sabotaged by someone else. Right. <laughs> Crazy. That's right. just... No, yeah, so, no, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't work my entire life to get here for somebody to be like, no, your job is just to sit here and be and lose, so I can get the number one pick. That's my for, that's for, my great for fourteen percent chance. chance. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm not, I'm not buying that. <laughs> and I don't want to believe that because the, the game wasn't built on that. That can't no. be the foundation of our league, and I'm not no. going to accept that. So, 
I'm just going to say it is what it is. However, I just want to like continue to believe that everyone is doing the very best they can. Right. You know, everyone's doing the best they can. And I can accept that. But I don't want to I don't even want to put that in my mind. I don't want to even accept that on any level. And I'm just going to be blind to the fact that maybe maybe <laughs> those have been discussions <laughs> but it's not one that's going to come up in my life uh, on any level man but you know as you said just earlier we all here love basketball and we talk about basketball non-stop all day every day so i want to talk to you guys about which teams you're focusing in on this week for me it's a crucial week now for the memphis grizzlies to turn their season around as we will see the return of one mr Jama Rants, which fans have been eagerly anticipating. And we're going to see if they can turn around their six and 18 record, get out of the second bottom spot. I think ESPN had them down at a 0.46% chance of making the playoffs. You know, we just laughed about a 14% chance for the number one pick, but a 0.46% chance to make the NBA playoffs. Do you guys see this week as the turning point in the season for the Grizzlies? And do you think right now, if you had to bet, would they be making the playoffs? I mean, it's hard to put it it's on one week. I know Ja's coming back, but it's going to take him a little time to get adjusted. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's been doing a lot to stay in shape, but he's still not in NBA game shape and his timing and, you know, with his teammates and their uh, timing. The new with teammates him as well. Is exactly. It's, it's going to take a little time. But there's a lot of games left. And uh, I think if you're the the Grizzlies, you got to be looking at, okay, how do we get to the play-in? I think it may be, because they're so far you know, behind, it's going to be difficult to get in that top six. But can they get into seven through ten? They can. It's mm -hmm. You know, look, it's like anything else. If they hit and go on a nine, ten game winning streak. Yep, they're six and a half oh. games behind 10th place right yeah. now. They're, they're, they're right there. So um, I'm going to give them some time. I haven't bitten them off yet um, because it's 60, you know, almost 60 games left. So I want to well, know, I want to know just before you give your answer, how excited are you to see the John Morant, Bismarck, Biombo pick and roll down there in Memphis? <laughs> <laughs> I know Big Biz going to be busy catching these logs now. Yes. Well, I, I'm going to tell you this. If, if I were a big, John Morant certainly would be a guard I would love to screen and roll and take my chances from there. So I know their team and their organization is excited because of what he means to this team. You know, this is going to be a very, in many regards, this whole year is a very unconventional season for the Memphis Grizzlies, right? They've had injuries to Steven Adams. Um, they've had injuries to other key players. Dylan Brooks is no longer with the team. Oh, how nice was that dagger he hit against them in Memphis yes. after watching his uh, tribute well, video? I don't know, depending on where you look at it, I don't know how nice it was. You know, I'm I'm, I'm rooting for the Grizzlies, nice, nice it, for Dylan. Yes, yeah, it, it yeah. was Dylan oh, Brooks. Yeah, no, was, was a big moment for him. He's cut his teeth there, and he certainly grew up in Memphis. There's no doubt about it. Then all of a sudden, the greatest player in the world, according to Mo, Marcus Smart, has been out. So another star. Exactly. <laughs> okay. And somehow they've piecemealed this thing together, and they've at least, at the very least, they've been competitive throughout the season. Now, all executives know you got to be able to pivot very quickly. 
during the course of a season due to injuries, things happen, sometimes the combination, sometimes the chemistry doesn't work. And I think this team now has to figure out an unconventional way to achieve, even against the odds, right? I mean, if you take your best player off of any team for 25, what, 25 games? Is that what it was? 25 20, games, yeah. 25 mm -hmm. games. That's a tall task for any organization, along with the other injuries. I mean, they've got key players. Yes. Okay. They, I mean, if you yeah, take, I mean, think about this, like three or four of their starters is yeah. out just from a year ago. Yeah, that Steven Adams was a big blow that people didn't yes, talk I about. Yes, okay. Yeah. So this has been... This has been a, a big thing. And I'll say this. In all of this, one of the things that we did find out is Desmond Bain is a player. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now, if there is a if there is something that came out of all of this that's happened in this chaos, Desmond Bain is a player. Yeah. If they can just get some type of, you know, chemistry or where they can just get into some type of rhythm, I feel pretty good about where this team is headed. Now, it's been a tough goal for them. Yeah. But Desmond Bain has really taken another step to where you're saying in any given night, he can carry a game right now. So I think that that's a very positive thing for them. And if you put Desmond Bain and John Morant and Jaron Jackson and you get the other players just back or Marcus Smart, mm -hmm. I'm saying – I kind of like this team a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to see them in the play. Hey, hey, Mo, we BJ didn't mention this, but we watched uh, Desmond Bain give our hometown team forty nine points. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to mention that. You know, I've been on to you guys a lot recently. I didn't want to get yeah, that. Yeah, boy. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like Desmond yeah, Bain he, has really he, surfaced as one of the better guards in, in all of this, right? And mm -hmm. we all know how hard it is to score you know, when your team is not at its best. And he, he's he been doing that. So I, I give them credit, you know, uh, and if they can get healthy with all of their players and put everybody in the right role and so forth and so on, I think they could they could somehow, some way, we could be talking about them at the end of the year and saying, we don't know how they got here, but they got here, but they're going to mm -hmm. need everything kind of to go right now yeah. once right. John Morant does get back on the court. They, they just got to get into at least to the playing tournament. From then, they can take care of the rest. I, you know, to your point, BJ, they, they just got to get there. Well, Scott, which team are you going to be looking at this week? This week, I'm going to continue watching the Dallas Mavericks. Oh, oh. I'm going to watch the Dallas Mavericks. You know, oh. they had a, uh, had a tough loss at home against Minnesota here um, the other day. But Luka Doncic, man, I, you know, I, you know, there's been a, obviously a lot of talk about Joel Embiid and, and Nikola Jokic, and rightfully so, being leading candidates for MVP. But Luka's sitting over there like, hey, don't forget about me. Look mm -hmm. at me. And Dallas is much improved this year. And, you know, Kyrie's out. They're holding it down. Can they continue to hold it down uh, without him? Um been really impressed. You know, you're talking about um, young guys coming in and contributing right away, but Derek Lively, he's been a perfect fit mm -hmm. there in Dallas early on. He's given them uh, a big who can protect the rim, uh, catches lobs very effectively at the rim, a lot of energy, kind of what the doctor order needed for him, uh, for, for that team, and I continue to see him grow. And uh, Tim Hardaway, even though um, 
Kyrie is out, which I think is smart. They're continually bringing him off the bench to do yep. what he does. And man, is he explosive you know, any given night? You know, Tim is a guy that can score 30, 40 points. And uh, so I like the direction of this team right now. Um, I, I think they can continue to add a little more physicality, but I'm, I'm going to be watching them real closely this week. And Dante Exum finding his way back into the league. Um, he, he had some huge shots against the Lakers in that win last week. And the, yeah. the Mavericks are still fourth. You know, people expect them to drop off after an easier schedule to start the season. But Luka Doncic, since, you know, congratulations to Luka, since the birth of his child, has been putting up near 50 points a game. Over here in, in England, uh, the sport of rugby, a lot of rugby players, I know, they always speak to this thing called dad strength. And they always say that after they've had their kids, they just get stronger and they can't explain it, right? So all the young players, all the older guys on their team tell them, Yo, you guys should have a kid, it's going to make you stronger. And it looks like that same effect has applied to Luka Doncic as well. We saw it happen to Fred Van Fleet in the NBA Finals. BJ, do you think this phenomenon exists? In the NBA, I I can only speak from experience. It didn't happen for me, so I don't know. I don't. I, I don't. But if it's a thing, I, I I gotta go with it. You know, if that if that's what they say. But it did happen for me. You know, <laughs> um, you know. I I I would love to. I need all the help I can get. So I, I did not. I did not receive that blessing though, Mo. <laughs> well, if you can if you can bless us with the team that you're watching this week, uh, we'll dive into that. The team I'm watching is the Milwaukee Bucks, and here's why. You know, they had a little episode this week that our uh, our, our our good friend Scott Perry has been talking about on uh, on the airwaves over there at ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> and there's been much debate. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's been one of those topics that we've had to discuss all week. Talking about what happened there in the Milwaukee versus Indiana Pacers game. And I think they have awakened the giant. I think the Milwaukee Bucks thought at the beginning of the season, well, we've made this trade. They won the official NBA title. We got Dame Lillard and everything's just going to go da-da-da-da-da-da. I think now what happened in Indiana suddenly the the, the man is awake. BJ, this this isn't good because in about Five hours from now, they're taking on your Detroit Pistons. So (laughs) you better hope he's sleeping today. (laughs) That's another conversation. I'm sticking with my thoughts right now. Okay. I think now the Milwaukee Bucks, this season for them has really been kind of a lackluster type season. Like, you know, defensively, you're saying, ah, what's going on here? You know, they haven't really played to the level we've all anticipated when this trade was made. But sometimes something, sometimes there's events or things that happen that bring the group together and can take a group further apart. This is one of those events that I felt he was fighting about the principle of what happened. (laughs) It was the principle of what happened. Mm -hmm. And regardless of what it is, it's one of those things where you're saying, wait a minute. I think this has the I think this has the capacity for this team, for this group to bring this group together. And I'm going to be interested interested to see what the effects is going to be on this group. 
-hmm. because now somebody comes in your house and takes your ball. Okay. I don't know right. what happened. Exactly. I'm not pretending to know what happened. <laughs> but whatever it did, it, it it forced them to have a physical confrontation and they went and knocked on the other team's door. At least that's my <laughs> understanding. Yeah. Now, Cole, I don't think they were knocking. Scott, Steve, <laughs> I can say this because Scott and I are from Detroit. When a man come knock on your door, he ain't no. knocking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> say, hey, where are we going to dinner? So yeah. <laughs> I think now this may put the the spark for the Milwaukee Bucks to say, oh, we got to get our stuff together now. Because yeah. this young Indiana t Pacers team now, they're coming. They were feeling good about themselves coming off of the the the, the, the playing stuff, the in-season stuff. And now I think the Bucks now saying, oh, let's make it happen. So I want to see how this carries off. Hopefully they're kind to, to our Pistons. <laughs> but other than that, I think hey, the Bucks now. Still trying got, to bring me in. Hey, hey, and I think in earlier in that game, Bobby Portis was thrown out of that game too. Yep, he was he riled up. He, he was. was he was. They, he, they, he was riled up. So you know, you know, they, to your point, they're ready to go. You know, they're well, ready well, to go after some people now. Look and at I think the schedule. Get out on opponents. They've got the Pistons. They better not go after Isaiah Stewart. And then they got the Rockets, who right now are on a five-game streak themselves, and we know they better not. Where's go that game? Chinooka. Where's the game at against the Rockets? Home or in Houston? The the game against the Rockets is in Milwaukee at the Fiserv Forum. Okay. Um, but you know, team uh, Coach Adoka's teams bring that toughness, and Dylan Brooks yes. is going to be there. I think mm -hmm. it would be so on brand for Dylan Brooks to try and take the game ball home after him when that game happens. <laughs> um, they got an easier one against the Spurs, but I'm excited for the Giannis and Wemby matchup. But to close out the week on Friday and Saturday, they've got back-to-back -back Magic and Knicks, two tough Eastern Conference opponents. So we're going to really see what they're made of this week. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Appreciate both of you guys for joining us as always here on the Hoop Genius podcast every Monday. Um, I hope you have a blessed week. And you guys at home, make sure you subscribe. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you stay rocking with us because we've got the Christmas Day games coming up um, in just all, over a week from now. And then trade deadline. And um, we're going to have to be leaning on Scott heavily for his insights. And I'm going to have more trades for him to, to gauge if I'm improving my GM skills or not. You know what I'm saying? I can, I can, I can be 100% right on these kind of trades, Mo. <laughs> I got you, Scott. Don't worry. I'll give you the easy assist. I <laughs> uh, appreciate it, fellas. We'll check in next week. BJ will be back for more every day, Monday to Friday. And until next time, get buckets.